My next guest is here to talk with all of us today about unhealthy relationships. She found herself at a very young age in a relationship that began at first to feel like it was amazing. And over time, it was not as amazing as it started out to be. She realized She was in a relationship of narcissism, of emotional and psychological abuse, and didn't know how to get out. After quite some time, she found the courage and the bravery to make a change and to leave. This next guest is on the show today as an anonymous guest, which I welcome wholeheartedly because, as many of you know, Leaving an abusive relationship is difficult. It is hard. I respect this woman. I honor her. We will keep her privacy and we will hold her heart in our hands as she shares her story that is, in my opinion, courageous and brave. And I welcome her today as our guest of honor on The Lori Clark Show. Hello. Hi. How are you today? I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm awesome. I'm awesome. I just wanted to say thank you for stepping up. (laughs) It's my pleasure. I'm, I'm really happy to be here today. I know. I can feel it. And I just want to say that there are so many people who are curious about how or how someone makes it out of something like this. Because so many people don't, they're living it Mm -hmm. and they don't know what to do. Yeah. And I know that you are going to be able to offer the beauty of your experience to all of us today. And I want to thank you right off the top. This is courageous and it's brave. You're so welcome. I'm (laughs) happy to share. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So you had said to me when you wrote in that there was a magnetism, a magnetic pull. Mm -hmm. He, yeah, it felt like, it felt to me like he was pulling me into him more than I was scouting him out. It felt like right away I was seen as something beautiful and gem-like. And um, I actually remember him telling me once um, that when he looked into my eyes, he, he had said, uh oh, I'm gonna like this girl. And after everything, looking back at that moment, I actually see how he was really feeling. Like, wow, this this is something that I want. I I I really like. It wasn't like a a love want. It was like a craving to fill. It was more of a. It was like magic, and it didn't feel earthly it felt like something was pulling at me and it would was, you say would you say it was a possessiveness definitely 
Yeah. And, and I mean, for somebody at that time, right. When I look back at myself at that time, I really feel like I wanted that. I wanted to be, you know, we all want love. We all Mm. want that true, beautiful love. And it's, it's really easy to be misguided there when you have somebody like that pulling at you a few weeks in when there was these little signs that, that kind of showed that that magnetism and, and mask of love wasn't really what was going on. It was, it was something a little more possessive. Yeah. A little more sinister and dark. Mm -hmm. So how long were you in relationship with this person for? It was about a year. Okay. So a few weeks, what do red flags actually look like? It's, it's, it's a bit challenging to go right back into it for me because I do, as this happens with trauma, have quite a bit of blocked blackout, um, patches, especially at the beginning. Um, but just little things like, you know, they would say, well, you're just going to have to work really hard for my approval or he was possessive over my appearance and who I was with and, you know, kind of wanting me to feel a little bit of shame starting out small. Right. And, um, so that I would want to stay basically. And that's a really interesting thing because he was asking you to be less than you were. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. He was, he was hinting at it, right. Very unobviously in ways that, that would make me feel obviously shameful. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So then what would you do? It was really confusing. It really confused me because it made me feel attached and wanting to work for it. And then it also made me feel like, do I really want this? But that was a very, very small voice. I think that the need for approval is something that a lot of us have challenge, have a challenge there. Um, and it was crazy. The difference I felt previously of how I needed approval from, from, from this person and from others, suddenly something clicked and I have to say, I do not feel the need for approval anymore. Something changed within that relationship. So it changed after or before? It changed pretty much. Well, it was a, it was a change through it. So it kind of drove me into that direction of realizing where self-worth actually comes from and... And it it almost like drove me to the bottom so I could rise up. So I do believe that everything happens for a reason. And I'm actually grateful for this experience. Mm. Can you talk about confusion in a relationship? So when you feel a red flag, when you see a red flag, so when you feel it, it's first coming in as a whisper, a small voice, an intuition, but then it begins to unfold in actions. It, bef- it begins to unfold in, mm-hmm. um, in experience. How did you handle 
the confusion of your experience? Yeah. So for me, my biggest guide was my body because my brain was totally confused and it was confused on purpose. And this happens a lot where the goal of, of the narcissist is to confuse so that they can control and obtain. Where did you meet? We met at a bar. Um, it was really random. Me and my friend, he saw me and he called us over and then, you know, it was, it was a really weird moment because I didn't really, I, I didn't, I didn't see him really at first. Like it wasn't like I saw him and wanted him. He saw me and wanted to collect me. And, and I mean, at, at that time it was flattering, right? It was like, oh, I'm beautiful. He saw me, he wants me, but it, it was, it was a, a like need to obtain versus a respect for who I was, if that makes sense. It does make sense. Yeah. Wow. And did you pick that up right away? You know, I don't know if I did. I, I felt the magnetism and I, I, I really wanted to, to continue. I remember I gave him my number and I was actually quite anxious to find out if he was going to text me. And, um, so I guess, yeah, I guess I was quite interested in being obtained at that time. Being obtained. (laughs) And that's how you term it is is, because that's a, that's a very possessive word. And in the moment you didn't, you, the feeling that you felt was anxious. I'm anxious. I want to, I want to get to know this person. I want to belong in with this person. And it it wasn't a, it wasn't a, a secure knowing. I really believe that when the right person comes into your life, it's a secure knowing that, that, that that is going to be infinite with that soul. It it was an anxious it was an anxious feeling that I had. And, you know, I already from the get-go, I was wanting to please. I was wanting to make sure I was enough for him to text me back. I was, it was a really interesting energetic connection that we had. Mm-hmm. And I think paying attention to that connection that starts any kind of relationship is a really important thing to do because it's not all just about the physical, right? It's, it's a lot of it is about the, the feeling you get from somebody, just like the simple feeling that you, you know, you see somebody walking down the street and you say, Ooh, I don't know. But then you second guess yourself, just follow that feeling. Wow. Yeah. That's really important. Mm -hmm. So explain more about that because when did that shift? Because if that, for all, for, you know, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, well, that's, that's not bad. I mean, you didn't really know in the moment. So, mm-hmm. you know, in the moment you were thinking, this is going to be great. I feel connection. That's probably the best connection I've ever had with someone where I just feel like I'm theirs and we belong together. And this is going to be, as you say, infinite. Yeah. 
And I'm assuming there's a soul connection too. Definitely. So unhealthy and healthy, a healthy relationship, you come as you are, you are accepted as you are. Mm -hmm. Unhealthy, you have to work Mm -hmm. for approval. Definitely. (laughs) When someone says to you, uh, you need to work for my approval, Mm -hmm. whether it's nonverbal or verbal, that's a moment. That's a moment. That's, that's your moment to stop what you're doing and to go, okay, this is really not bringing me up. This isn't helping me rise. This is creating a pattern, a code of conduct Mm -hmm. so that if I step out of line, well, then what happens? So what would happen if you did not meet this approval or this expectation? Um, What would happen would, well, um, there would be a lot of, of, um, of negative, negative remarks said to me. And, um, you know, he would very blatantly say, well, I'm, I'm just, I'm upset at, or, or you're not doing a good job or, and it was so honest that it, it felt like jarring to be standing under this huge storm and, and just feeling kind of small. And at the beginning, it started out, you know, very subtle, those subtle little moments of kind of, of just put placing these very small little droplets of fear here and there. And then it felt like all of a sudden I was under this massive storm and, um, and then I just ran away. (laughs) You ran away into the trap of the narcissist. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really the inequity of power. An unhealthy relationship, someone is in the seat of power. Mm-hmm. And there is someone that isn't. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. You talk about droplets of fear. Mm. Little droplets of fear. Okay, so he never threatened you without, and I just want to say that, you know, this, this, I don't need you to go, we don't as audience need you to go back and tell us a story or mm-hmm. give us examples. But when you say droplets of fear, was that a physical fear, a psychological fear, an emotional fear? Like, was he just holding it over you and saying, um, if I have to ask you again to do X or, you know, don't make me it are, were those some of the words? It was, it was definitely very heavy words like that. Um, I remember a couple of times I, I would ask like, you know, this is kind of, an interesting thing to ask now that I think back at it, but I would say like, would you ever hit me or something like that? Like, mm-hmm. and, and he would say like, of course not like all this stuff. And, but then in these moments with these, this fear, I, I didn't know what was going to happen. I just felt like there was an infinite amount of possibility to what could happen to me in those moments. And um, yeah, it was, it was scary at times. I felt like I was hit emotionally. And so, I mean, physically, 
it didn't matter. Like I, I kind of felt like it was, it was bruises on the inside. Right. So. Um, I've had a narcissist in my life and Mm -hmm. from my experience, they didn't need to ever hit me. Mm -mm. Their words were more than the hit. Spiritually, spiritually. It, it, it just took decades Mm -hmm. to come out from the bruise. You know, I was reading a book and it was describing um, the power of a narcissist or a a borderline personality disorder. And they were talking about it. Their words were like soul murder. Mm -hmm. And I really resonated with that because it does kill a part of you. For sure. Even, even to this day, when, when any voice is risen, I I instantly sweat instant. Like it's, it's my body goes back into that fear, that fight and for flight, I guess it's, it's the flight feeling. Um, yeah, I think, I think that if you ever feel that in your body and you feel that, that sweatiness, that, you know, that kind of like maggots crawling under your skin. I I think that that's a sure sign that (laughs) you deserve more. Wow. So you say maggots under your skin. And as you're saying it, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling because I've been in this, not in, not in my relationship I have now, but I have been in this kind of relationship. And I can say that you really describe it very well. Mm-hmm. Droplets of fear, feeling small, something under your skin that is trying to let you know this doesn't feel right in the whole body. This is not like just not feeling right where you can't say what you want to say. This is like whole body experience. Yes. Get out. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, for sure. You wrote, when you wrote in, you had um, um, an example, you, you wrote in a few things and you said, you really felt a lot of confusion and a feeling, and you use the word icky, mm. when he would place his hand on the back of your neck. Mm. Would mm-hmm. you be able to expand on that? I think that, you know, being touched by a partner should be, should be that, should feel, feel that. Um, but it was really confusing because the back of the neck is a very, a very sensitive personal place. And Mm -hmm. Hmm. it's, it, you know, when, when there's pressure there, it kind of throws your head forward. It makes you feel like submissive. Yes. Um, and I just remember, you know, it would happen sometimes at the beginning and then it started to kind of happen. And near the end, it was happening a lot. You know, it was, it was always there when we were walking down the street when, you know, and a couple of times there was like some pressure there. And I think that it started to feel like that 
slimy. It just felt like a slimy thing back there that I just wanted to shake off. And it just felt like I wanted to just, you know, throw, throw it. Like it started to become visceral, the feeling of that. And it, I started to recognize that, that it, it wasn't a good thing. It was a controlling thing. It was there to keep me, you know, tied in. So you mean he would walk down the street with you yeah. with his hand on the back of your neck and as like, instead of around your waist? Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, if, if we would get into a fight, you know, he'd squeeze a little too hard or there'd be times that, you know, there'd be physical, physical parts to it as well that felt like, sub, like submit submit you know you touch the dog at the back of the neck to like control them so it's 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 quite a well it's a very vulnerable place I mean it's your spine Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know like that is not that is that is a connection between you know your um higher self your higher self your crown your possibility, the mind, creativity, flow, it all, your thoughts. I mean, we're talking about almost like putting the hand on the flow of your infinite power. Definitely. That is profound to me. A caller, like a slave caller. When that first happened, you said, oh, okay, that might be, that might be like a love thing. Yeah. And he's walking me around. I mean, he can really oh yeah, move you. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It, it and I mean sometimes it just takes a little bit of time to show the true colors of what an action means and it didn't take too long for me to realize that that was negative. When you ever did you ever say anything? No. Why? I was too scared. I felt, you know, when I, when I would bring up, so talking about um, our discussions, a lot of the times I, I mean, I have healthy people in my life, my family, I would, I would rant about stuff and, and they would, you know, just bring it up. Like, maybe you should just talk to him about what you feel your boundaries should be and what you know your boundaries are. And so I would, I would try to start to bring these up with him. And I just felt like, you know, he would, he would go to watch a TV show or he would just look other way, other places. He wouldn't, he wouldn't be there with me. He wouldn't be hearing me. He was disrespecting my wishes through like, and that was so hard for me even to just come and try to put myself out there and be like, look, I don't want, I don't want to be treated like this. I don't want your hand to the back of my neck. I don't want to be controlled. but. And it was just completely stamped on. And so that pushed me even lower. You know, every time that happened, it, it, it just, it made me feel even less of myself. And, and I mean, it pushed me so down, it pushed me so far down, it made me rise up. But it, it was, it was definitely confusing and, and hard to go through. You said something about your family life and that you had you know, supportive family. So 
if you're asking them for help or for feedback and they're saying, you know, talk about your boundaries Mm -hmm. and then you get there and that boundary isn't honored, then where's the confusion for you? I think the confusion for me was like, why couldn't I leave? Why wouldn't I just walk out the door? I felt really stuck and it was partially and the energetic um, pull and attachment. And it was also partially, there was good days and bad days and the good days were magical and beautiful and so challenging to remember the hard times in those moments of, of pure, like exact, like, this is what I want. Right. And then, and then suddenly the next day it's the pits. (laughs) (laughs) It's the pits. (laughs) And it's, you know, you're, you're trying to fumble through and wonder where, where you went wrong. Was it your fault? Did you create this negative mood? Um, did you set him off? Right. Um, so yeah, it's, and, and I think a huge piece of the puzzle was realizing that it's not my responsibility and it's not my fault. And well, but you, it sounds like you had a hard time with that because after all you were, it was really hard to gain his approval. Yes. In the thick of it, it was really hard to gain his approval. It took work. From my own life experience with the descriptions you're talking about, I know, I know. And the approval for me was just being quiet. Mm. Don't say what you feel. Mm. Don't challenge me. So we're going to get along really well if we can talk about everything that's amazing. Mm-hmm. If you begin to have a conversation with me about what I've done wrong, then it's actually really about what you aren't doing in this relationship. It's completely, yeah, exactly. Every, everything got flipped over, back over, right? It was like I was talking to a mirror. <laughs> yes, because you, you, they are not wrong. Never. Ever. No, never. No. And you are wrong all the time. Mm-hmm. So this person, how they get so big and so powerful is, is beyond me. Mm-hmm. but they are, it is just this, it's, um, it's a presence. It's a, you call it, mag- it's the word is magnetism, but the, but it is the contrast of magnetism. Mm-hmm. It's the dark side of that magnetism. It's this dark space that you don't want to see because it's the magnetism and the magic that gets you there. It pulls you in. And I'm a, quite a strong individual. And I would wrestle with that for all the time. Just go now. I, you know, and it, and it was just worse. They would tighten. The more you flailed, the harder it was for you. Definitely. And it wasn't, and maybe this works for you, but for me, it was all about the nonverbal. It was what they weren't saying that was so painful to me. Well, that's exactly it. There, I would be having, I would be having, I would just pull myself out of the, out of my shell for a little bit and try to stand up for myself. And there would just be silence on the other end, right? There would just be 
nothing. And I would just be fumbling for, to try to make sense of what I was saying. And I was just kind of spinning myself into this, maybe I actually am not worth this, right? Maybe I'm actually, maybe I should just, okay, I'll just give up, right? You just kind of, at one point, you just, okay, well, you know. Yeah, I'll give up. Um, I give up. This conversation isn't worth it for me to say to you, um, I, I, I want to set a boundary here. It isn't worth it because you're not hearing me because I'm trying to say how I feel and it's all about me. You're turning it on me. So now I give up and, and down goes the truth. Mm-hmm. Out goes the truth away from the truth. You, you're, you, you, you slowly are turned from your higher purpose towards their purpose. Definitely. And life isn't for that. We are not made for someone else's purpose. We are here for our own. Exactly. Yeah. When you have discussion and this, these fights that you would have, and literally they're fights with yourself. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> they're there and you're there and you're the only one fighting. <laughs> yes. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so then when you felt guilty or shame, what, what did that look like? What was, what happened? Yeah, well, it, it would, it would, it would turn into that. It would turn into the shame and the shame would make me feel really small. And I, I mean, I think that that's why I stayed for, for as long as I did to, cause I, I, I thought, oh, well, um, it, it was a sick shame. It was like, it was a, it was a dark one. It didn't feel like, like it felt there, there was always this like internal resistance to it. Oh, and, so can I ask you this question? Then? Mm-hmm. Were you feeling his shame or your shame? Now I'm thinking I felt his shame <laughs> because here's the thing. I'm thinking you felt your shame. So you're thinking it was his shame, but here's, let me follow, let me follow this with you because I've done a lot of self-exploration on this and, and maybe, maybe this fits, but the definition of shame, like you talk about that dark shame, right? The healthy, there, there's a healthy shame where you've done something, your action, um, has, a, and behavior, maybe you did something that was foolish or wrong and you feel like. I feel an emotion of shame about it. Mm-hmm. But there's another shame that happens when you aren't in the place you're supposed to be. Mm, yeah. And yeah. so the shame becomes profound, almost deafening, mm-hmm. because it isn't their shame. It's your shame saying, if you feel me, if you feel me to the extent that I need you to feel me, you will walk away. You will leave. Yeah. You did eventually because you tapped into your own shame. Right. It's embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah. When did you start feeling embarrassed? Um, well, I remember I, I did have this thought a couple of times and I, it would blow my mind when I have it. And then I would just kind of put it away on a shelf, but I would think, oh, like. None of my friends could, 
you know, deal with him. I'm the only one that has enough. I'm the only one that's, that can put up with it, right? I had this idea that I was strong enough for it. And nobody needs to be strong enough for that. The red flags at three weeks, you say, you said, I started figuring things out about three weeks in. So were you thinking it was just going to get better? Um, at that point, at that point, I wasn't really listening to myself. And, and yeah, I, I feel like I was focusing more on, you know, his appearance on our, our fun times together. And the red flags were, were pretty small. And I had never had an experience like this before. I had never been in the presence of a powerful narcissist who knew exactly what they were doing. And so I was hopeful, you know, and I think hope is something that can be a beautiful thing and also can, if it's mixed with that desire to, to find approval, it can be, it can be clouding because there's always that hope that this person's going to, you know, be better. And hope mixed with your own shame mm-hmm. where your higher self says, I'm not going there with you. Mm-hmm. I know you were made for bigger things and you are loved. You are valuable. You are amazing. You are worth. It's priceless. Your worth. Mm-hmm. Your worth is priceless. You are the gem. That's your higher self. So when you feel shame, it's when your higher self won't go there. Mm-hmm. And you are separated from this purpose of who you were created to be. And then you're hoping. So you've got this little brew, this little concoction going. It's like a little bit of hope and a little bit of shame and a little bit of guilt <laughs> and then suppression yeah. and, and whatever. And you're, and you're feeling detached from yourself because your real high yourself isn't going with you. Yeah. Can you resonate with that? Definitely. I, I just, I always remember, you know, feeling quite guilty about or, or shameful about, you know, deeply knowing where I was supposed to be and then wanting to go somewhere else and, and allow these situations to happen. I, I mean, Wanting to go someone else, somewhere else. Where, where do you mean? So you, it was, it was weird. Like he wouldn't want to see me during the week. And it was, it was, it was weird. He wouldn't want to see you during the week? No, no. It was like, it, it was like, and then, you know, there was always these shameful things of him saying, you know, oh my gosh, you're almost, you're always here. Like, why are you always here? And, and then he, but then he wouldn't want me to leave. And then it was like, he was like pulling and pushing me, pulling and pushing me constantly so that I would just stay in the same place and never move. And I couldn't actually make any decision for myself. And, um, wow. It was, it was like, yeah, quite, quite confusing. I mean, the whole thing is, is, is just reminds me of fog. Right. And, and, it, and I feel like 
that right there is, is a red flag, how you feel. Feeling foggy is a red flag? Feeling foggy, yeah. And even describe that further for those who are listening and who are in this with you. Yeah, so just feeling, you know, where is my, where is my purpose? Where is this relationship going? Why don't I feel safe? Why don't I feel like I can set my own boundaries within it? I think the fog is, is just a lack of knowing where you're supposed to be. And, and I think that it takes a lot of courage to clear that fog. And, and here, I think that that taking that step into the unknown is how you clear it and, and doing something that's a little bit scary, right. To not keep allowing this push and pull to happen. How did you discover who he was? How did you learn? Um, I never knew very much about his childhood. I never knew very, I knew, you know, I had seen his parents here and there on video chat or something. I, 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 he wasn't from, from where I'm from. So, um, I never got to really like get to know any of his, his close relationships. Um, you know, he, from what I gathered from here and there was he had, you know, been bullied at school. And I don't know if that was, was a fragment in his life, but, um, yeah, I didn't, I never really, it, it was we never really got to know each other in that intimate, caring way. There, there was, it was hard. It was hard to know him exactly for who he was. Cause it was, it was all an illusion. It felt. Wow. An illusion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you say these things that are that that it's like I have to digest them. <laughs> <laughs> um, you wrote. Uh, we talked about in the green room. We talked about some maybe some things that from a book that we both really appreciate called Milk and Honey mm-hmm. um, by Rupi Kaur, and you say that there's one on page 97 and I'd like to read it because you didn't know this. You wouldn't have known this, but I earmarked this page when I knew that we were going to talk. I went to this book and I thought, oh, there's going to be some treats in here for me to look through. And I read page 97 I earmarked page 97. Then you wrote me and said, oh, page 97. Oh my gosh. I know. And I just thought, oh, that, this is really cool. So I'm going to read it for you and, yes. and for our listeners. And we're going to go on this little journey of, of poetry and how powerful she is. Mm-hmm. She has a way of pulling you in and creating a space of vulnerability and honesty mixed with raw grit and messiness that is so relatable. Totally. I just, I mean, it just, it causes me to pause a lot when I read her. So 
Here we are, page 97. Did you think I was a city big enough for a weekend getaway? I am the town surrounding it, the one you've never heard of, but always pass through. There are no neon lights here, no skyscrapers or statues, but there is thunder. For I make bridges tremble. I am not street meat. I am homemade jam, thick enough to cut the sweetest thing your lips will touch. I am not police sirens. I am the crackle of a fireplace. I'd burn you, and you still couldn't take your eyes off me, because I'd look so beautiful doing it, you'd blush. I am not a hotel room. I am home. I am not the whiskey you want. I am the water you need. Don't come here with expectations and try to make a vacation out of me. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Why is this important to you? Why this one? It's important to me because something was said to me in my process of healing about your, my soul and my, my place of home as, as a, as a, a town or city and, and the concept of others building in that city and trying to take over the city with, with their architecture and, and, and buildings. And that really resonated in me because when I, when I look at a healthy relationship, I don't feel anything is built. I feel like I have my, my home, my place of safety still completely intact. And looking back, I remember feeling like there was these foreign, foreign places inside of me that I didn't, I didn't understand. And they felt they felt like they had been built into me from another, another person. And, and I just really, I love to read this and feel, and feel like I I have, I have that connection again to my city and, and how dare you, how dare you try to build in it? Because that's not right. So tapping into the feeling inside of that concept of, of taking the soul and, and thinking about it as, as a collection of, of buildings or a collection of, of um, you know, home and, and feeling like emptiness in that space when that person is, is with you and, and, you know, still in your life. I think that that is a really important feeling to to pay attention to because your city should feel full and it should feel abundant and it should feel capable of, of, of everything you want. It shouldn't feel anxiety prone and, and constantly questioning and, and wondering if, you know, can I build here? Can I build here? I don't know. Right. It's, it's this constant asking of, am I allowed to be in my own home? which I think it was when I read this, I just said, yeah, that's, I mean, I, I resonate with that. And I think. When I, when I think about this city that you talk about, 
I think about the relationship I'm in. I've been with my partner for 26 years now. Mm-hmm. And I have not invited him to build in my city mm-hmm. because it's mine. No. He walks through it with me. Mm-hmm. I show him, look at this. Look at what I built here. Like, look at this tower. This is my, this is my anchor tower. And in this tower is all kinds of things. And he goes, yeah, I want to experience that with you. I want to, I want to learn about that anger. I want to learn about what, what your experiences that create anger in you are. Show me. Mm -hmm. And I take him to another, another street that is with joy and happiness. And he learns about that. And and it's a, it's a, there's a reciprocity. I go with him to his city. Yeah. But when we begin to lose our sense of self, mm-hmm. that's really what happens. Our emotions do not become a part of us anymore. Mm-mm. There's this disconnection. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really powerful thing. And being degraded, being condescended to or made to feel beneath there's a something that connects on a cellular level that is so powerful when you are degraded or you are meant to feel less it your cells respond definitely yeah yeah it it, it just you know it it has to come from, it has to come from yourself and, and, you know, quieting, quieting that, um, quieting everything around you and just, just observing what you feel can give you so much insight. So how do you observe what you feel? So if you're in a relationship and you are in with someone who is asking you to not be who you are, Mm-hmm. What was your path to get there then? Well, I've always, I've, I've always been quite a fan of meditation, and I was finding it so hard to meditate because I couldn't find her. I couldn't find me. I couldn't mm-hmm. see. I couldn't connect. And I remember the minute things were over and I, I, I meditated. I just started crying because I was so grateful to have found me again. And I, and I think that it doesn't have to be meditation. It could be, it could be going for a walk. It could be going for a bike ride, going for a run, um, baking your favorite muffins, um, really anything that you love that helps you connect to yourself. I mean, pay attention if, the, if those things have stopped coming into your life, if you feel like you can't paint your nails, if you feel like, you know, those little things are, are things to pay attention to. And I think just paying attention to yourself is the first step to, if you are in an unhealthy relationship, to see it and, and honoring, honoring yourself. So how did you make your way out? 
it was a whirlwind. I had to, I had to do it without thinking about it. My Mm. body did it. My, my, my brain had to shut down almost to get me there because I wanted to think my way out of it. I wanted to think my way, you know, out of, out of doing this. And I, and I just had to follow what my intuition was telling me. Um, yeah, something that was really helpful for me was just not seeing, not seeing them. Just, I just basically dropped the mic and walked away, just left. And that was, that was huge because they're magical, right? They'll pull you back in to, to their trap. Right. And, and when you left, well, did he get softer? Because a lot of times mm-hmm. abusers, they have this uncanny sense of knowing that you're going to hit the road. Mm-hmm. And they do things. They start to um, buy you things. I, one, one woman I was talking to, um, he bought her earrings. Mm-hmm. Um, and another, he just started sending her like flowers. <laughs> they're like, right. So was there anything that happened like that for you? There was, there was some conversation that happened, right? I was looking at you know, buying like a van to have some camping adventures in and, he, you know, he would make it about, oh, are you going to take off on me? Right. And, but it was, it, that, that was guilt, um, you know, shoved back in my face. Um, after, you know, he tried to win me back by sending me things. Yeah, he definitely. He definitely tried and there was a lot of texts that were sent where he was trying his his hardest to make himself sound good. And I could just, the minute I <laughs> dropped that mic, I saw it. I could just see inside. It was confusing. I couldn't fully read the texts. I have to be honest. I couldn't actually bring myself to fully read the texts. Um, because I, I was so afraid of being pulled back into there. But yeah, it's almost like I had to just close myself up into a little shell for a little bit and be like, just give me a sec. I just need to be in here and I just need to f- feel myself and, and just like, just give me a second. And then once I had that second, it was like, I let the calm set. I let everything settle. And I, and I, I started to see where I needed to go from there. But the narcissist doesn't want you to even have a second. No. And so I had to, I had to basically cut all of the ties. I just snipped, snipped, you know, I, I cut everything. I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna block you. I'm just going to cut you off. I'm just going to throw out all your stuff and I'm just going to take, you know, I couldn't even for myself at that point say that this is a breakup. At that point I was like, I just need a break. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so then, but then it, then it obviously, you know, after a couple of days, I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> so a couple of days you were, oh yeah, this is amazing. Or, oh yeah, I made a wrong decision or, oh yeah. 
it was never a wrong decision, but I would, I, I definitely needed support and I definitely would, you know, text a friend or my family and say, please remind me, remind me what it was like. I I'm, I'm forgetting and I'm scared and I don't want to go back. And I, I, wow. I think the reaching out to my people was really vital because I was starting to feel very alone. And, you know, when you start to lose your sense of, um, when you start to lose yourself, you also don't honor yourself. And so then you don't feel like you're worth it. And having, you know, doesn't even have to be um, a family figure. It could be a friend. It could be it could be an acquaintance that you're just, Hey, I just need you to know this. And I just need you to keep me accountable. So when you say, I need you to know this, did you tell someone that you were in an abusive relationship? How did you let people know that you were hitting the red button? Yep. I I was very honest. I, 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 I just, yeah, I was very honest about it. And it, again, it wasn't my, it was, it didn't feel like my physical self. It felt like something was pulling me there. And I just, I I was too tired. I was too done to fight back. So I just let myself follow and, and find that person that I could talk to that could help me me out of, out of my, my state of mind there. Well, and that's really interesting that you say that because a lot of times in the narcissist relationship, they will say things like you there, no one's going to help you. Mm-hmm. So it's just you and me anyway. Mm-hmm. And so it takes a lot of courage. A lot of courage. Yeah. That's a, that's a lot of courage. And, and, then, and you learn something about the masks of love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yes. It, it, it felt like, you know, once I took that mask off, I just kind of looked and I was, I did not see love whatsoever. You know, there, there is, there is, there is lots of love out there, but that is not it. Right. Right. Um, when you decided to go and then you said, okay, like I'm done. Mm-hmm. Um, did he try to get you back? Yes. He tried his hardest to get me to at least see him once. And Ah. I, I mean, this is a time where I was weak and I, at this point, I felt like I needed some crutches. I needed some people in my life that would hold me accountable because I knew what I needed to do, but I couldn't. I felt super weak. I was super weak at this point. And so, you know, I would ask, I'd say, do you think I could see him? You know, and and didn't even feel like I really even wanted to see him for myself. But I right. I was like, do you think it would be okay? I kind of feel like I, sh- I maybe should, you know? <laughs> and, and, and so I, I just repetitively, and saying no at that point was really hard. But um, yeah, just kept, kept staying firm. You know, he's like, you kind of have to jump in the cold water and then stay there for a little bit and then fall out and warm up and then feel better. And what was your body feeling 
because this takes a toll. I know I have a person who is very, very close with me who has just recently left um, a relationship with a narcissist and they just couldn't even maintain health in their body. They were having a hard time eating, hard time, you know, just putting food down. It's amazing the effects of someone in your life. And did that happen to you? Definitely. It, and and um, that was a huge sign to me that I wasn't where I was supposed to be. For instance, my hair was falling out. Um, I couldn't eat. I was getting very, very slim as well. Um, I, would, I would constantly have anxiety and I started to feel my heart almost palpate. It was starting to feel irregular and I had this constant knot just held at the base of my, of my rib cage and right in my, right in my solar plexus. It was just tied up. It was completely tied up. And, um, yeah, that was, I was kind of starting to see like, wait, just hold on for a second. (laughs) What's going on here, right? What is, what is my body trying to tell me? My body is reacting to this person, to this, this energetic, um, evil almost. Right. And, and I, yeah. So that's also where I feel having some people in your life is really important to basically pull you into their arms and, and give you a hug and, and just say, it's going to be okay. This is what we're going to do. <laughs> right. And, and of course, you know, in that, in that time when, if you're losing weight, if your hair is falling out, a friend or a family member is going to say, are you okay? Definitely. You're looking like you're not eating well. You're looking tired. Is everything okay? Mm-hmm. For those people out there who are, they know someone is in relational danger. They know someone, a friend, family, unhealthy relationship. It is okay to ask them. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. And a lot of times denial happens. Well, I asked my other friend because you said that you thought that I was in a bad relationship, but I went and asked this person and they said that that wasn't the case. <laughs> and also from the person who's being asked, I remember there's so much defense, like yeah, mad, you know, how dare you say that? And it was just this, this, and that of course is that shame from not being in the place that you're supposed to be and mm. knowing, okay, well, something's not right here. And I really should listen to that, but you know, so it's, it's all of those explosions of emotion and, and they're all little signs. They're all little, they're there to help you into awareness and acknowledgement of what is going on and to bring you into a more healthy place. And I I would agree with you. I would say that in the, in the relationship with a narcissist, you, they don't want you to feel, they don't want you to read. They don't want you to get head knowledge and heart knowledge of how to make your life better. That is your first, that's the first thing when, when they say, what do you need this truth stuff for? Mm -hmm. That's, 
that's a moment for you. And when you express your heart or your feeling and it isn't cherished or heard even, now you know another one. Now you can see. And so the emotion comes, and and this is an important point, and maybe you can reinforce this for those that are out there because you've been through this. When the emotion comes to you, that's the signal. Mm -hmm. When the shame comes, feel it, go into the it. Because Mm -hmm. if you don't go into the rage, into the resentment, into those little thoughts of who do you think you are, but I'll never say it. I'll just think it. That who do you think you are? Or I don't want you to tell me how to be, or you I'm afraid to say this. Oh, he won't like it if I say it. I better not say this. Go into it. Don't avoid it. Yeah. Because if you avoid it, it means you're in it longer. Yeah. Yeah? Yes, totally. Yeah, I I would 100% agree. I I think courage is is one of the hardest things to feel when you're in the midst of it. Mm. It doesn't need to be a huge step. You don't need to take that right away, that step into the cold water. You can dip your toe and just, what does that feel like? What is, does that, does that bring me a little bit more comfort? You know, let your body and soul guide you and don't be afraid Because courage is really strength in the face of pain or grief. Definitely. Courage is. And here's the thing. That's why it's, that's why the cycling thoughts are happening for you. When you are feeling the grief, it's your moment to go. If I go into this feeling of grief, then you're going to see what the gift of the grief is there to give you, which oftentimes pushes you in that quiet space in the middle of the night where, because the narcissist won't leave you alone. So you only have the middle of the night. You think about, oh, okay, I'm afraid or I'm feeling this. What you call yourself higher you feel the pain, you feel the grief, you feel the shame. That's your moment. Mm-hmm. It's coming to you so that you can actually move through the pain and face the reality that you are being belittled, mm-hmm. pushed down, but you are selling yourself to someone for nothing. Yeah. It's like, What's the price that you're worth? Uh, zero. <laughs> yeah. Zero. That's what you feel, right? You start to feel like zero. Zero. I'm worthless. I actually don't have any value. Oh, well, this person says that I'm, you know, and you immediately go, what the, what, what's going to make me feel value? So you, you get caught in that cycle of worthy, worthlessness. If I feel like zero, I naturally want to make myself feel more. So now I need to do the good work to get into this person's good grace. For me, it was baking a cake. This person would say to me, um, so I get the silent treatment for weeks. And this person would say, well, 
And that's all they would say. And I'd go right to the kitchen. <laughs> I'd start baking a cake. I kid you not. Yeah. And I would put it in front of this person and they would say, it's good cake. Mm. And that's how I knew that I had won the approval. My worthiness was in this cake. Mm -hmm. And now we would start talking. Yeah. Yeah. That's. There's one more. um, You had two more quote uh, poems, but I'm just going to read the one on page 107. Same book. It says, I had to leave. I was tired of allowing you to make me feel anything less than whole. Mm -hmm. Goodness, yeah. That just resonated so much with me because, I mean, we all know what our whole selves have felt like in the past and we all we all can relate to a wholeness inside, whether that be when you were a child or a moment, right? My, my soul was pulling me, pulling me into a place where I was craving myself. I was craving. Hmm. I was just craving who I was and I, I was missing her. Oh, and I just, yeah, I just wanted to be back in her skin. <laughs> <laughs> So then when you found her, mm-hmm. what did she tell you? She told me that it was okay and that that she was grateful to have me back mm-hmm. and that it wasn't my fault what had happened. And she showed me a lot of what that relationship taught me and and why it happened. Did she walk you through your city? She walked me through my city, yes. (laughs) Big old hug. (laughs) Every single building that had been put up by this other person we took it down together. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really appreciate our time. That actually makes me like want to cry. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing like being reacquainted with yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, when we, early on in the interview, we talked about that higher self and when you feel the shame and hope and it's all this mix, but you're, you're away from your higher self. You're feeling your own shame. Mm-hmm. No one can make you feel anything. No. You feel for yourself. They can put on you. They can overlay, but they cannot. You are responsible for your own feeling, your own joy, your own. Yes. and. When that person who you, the authentic person of you, of who you are comes into play, it's like there's this sense of home and as you say, wholeness 
Mm-hmm. And there's no recrimination there. No. Nope. It's like, no, you're loved. We always knew that. You need to, to experience that a little bit. You got some wounds. This war was hell. Yep. It was, it kicked the absolute crap out of you. But guess what? You're going to heal. And we're going to get the street sweeper to come through the city. And we're <laughs> going to paint some more buildings. <laughs> we're going to make a mural over here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. The new lights, because we got to have a protective camera. <laughs> we're going to install some features so that this doesn't happen again. Yeah. Isn't that important though? Mm-hmm. You need a security camera. Definitely. And, and this journey gave you this, this ability now to have a surveillance system where you're going to be like, well, um, my radar is strong now. <laughs> you can spot a narcissist a mile away. Seriously, it's crazy that like flipped a switch and it just feels like, yeah, it's taking your power back and then oh. taking it back fuller than oh. it was to begin with. And just, yes, you have this insight, this, I mean, this love for yourself and it just feels like you don't, you just don't need anybody. Right. But it takes that courage mm. in those moments to get there. Oh, yeah. I know that this is important and I want to talk about the courage as we wrap up because this is strength. This is the pain that you faced and the grief that you had in your life. I resonate with you. I feel you. I thank you for taking the risk. This is courage. And you've turned your pain and your grief and your shame into something that is beautiful and is life-giving. Your story is freeing other people. Thank you for being this beautiful essence and inspiration to so many people. Oh, you're so welcome. I hope that everybody enjoyed it and um, felt something from this. And I just want to reach out to everybody and give you all a hug. (laughs) (laughs) Can you, as you, as we end, can you just let us know what joy and happiness feels like now that you're on the other side. So if there's someone out there who can't even imagine what would happiness and joy feel like? So if you, if you just feel your heart for a second and you just feel what's in there, it feels warm to me. It feels full. It feels like it's almost bursting mm-hmm. my hands and my chest. It just feels like it's filling my whole body with this golden light. And I just feel the universe pouring down on my head. It just, it, joy just feels like it's not hard to grasp. It's all around and it just takes connecting with yourself and loving, loving who you are, loving your skin and yeah, I'm just so grateful for my experience and that I'm able to to share that. And I, I really hope that um, I really hope that 
you can feel that joy as well because it's worth it and you're worth it. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Your spirit is beautiful and um, it's, it's a privilege. And thank you for showing us how to feel joy. You're so very welcome.